What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the America's Pastime Podcast, Season 1, Episode 107. Jeremy, Mike, Travis, the gang all here. Talk about some awards and some pretty major signings that have happened over the last few days. But first off, with the awards, we had the Rookie of the Year Award, which we talked about on our last podcast on Monday. So go check that one out. And then on Tuesday, we had the Managers of the Year. Not too much to touch on there. Gabe Kapler in the National League and Kevin Cash in the American League. Pretty obvious, the two best teams in each league. They each won it. Not much more to say about that. And then the more interesting debate was the Cy Young Award, where Corbin Burns won in the National League, and Robbie Ray, kind of unsurprisingly, won in the American League. So let's start there. Mike, I know you have some pretty strong feelings about Burns taking the award there. Why do you think someone else should have won? Um, I mean, the first place I always start is just like the innings pitch. And I guess it really comes down to what you value in a starting pitcher. And I, I, I think it's great that like wins, for example, it has been taken away from stuff that's been really valuable and what you know, the Cy Young Award, you know, people look at. But for them to kind of like devalue innings in this stage of the game where pitchers, you know, are not going nearly as deep, I think is really like stupid. Um, and it kind of seemed like the nerds kind of just took over and won that award for Burns. I mean, Zach Wheeler, in like every single way, I know like, you no, know, his strikeout rate is not, wasn't as flashy. It wasn't like 12.6 in lead baseball, but it was still 10.4 at still elite. It wasn't a two, four, three year array, which led the national league or, or baseball, but it was still a two, seven, eight. And Burns threw 167 innings, which was the fewest of any Young award winner ever for a starting pitcher. And Wheeler led the led baseball 213. Like, it's not even a matter of, like, quantity and quality. Like, Wheeler had very quality stuff and did it for, like, like a month more. And another thing, too, like, Wheeler went into the sixth inning or later 20, like, what, 27 times? And that's, like, more starts than Burns made all year. Or just as many starts as Burns made all year. So, it's like Wheeler was just like – Wheeler was dealing. He, really, the entirety of the year, he went deeper, did a lot more for his team. And, like, even if you look at, like, even other advanced stats, like, fifth whip, he was still in the top of the league. His fastball was, like, ridiculous. Like, he was, like, top of the league in everything. And if you want to look at war, too, he led in that. And war takes into consideration, like, fifth and all those other metrics that make the playing field even. And he was, like, two above uh, Burns. And, I like, guess the last thing, too, is I would even honestly put my – give my vote to Bueller before Burns. I, if I was voting, I would go Wheeler – Bueller, Burns, Scherzer. Those are the top four guys, and that's the order I would place it. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, I, I was shocked to see Burns uh, win the award as well. Uh, I didn't think he was going to win it. I thought he was kind of the, you know, but there was a sizable gap between him and Scherzer because um, I thought Wheeler was going to win it, and then I thought it would be Scherzer, and then, you know, Burns would be a step yeah. below. I know, like you said, you know, Burns had a ton of crazy, you know, um, you know, advanced sabermetric stats, but um, you know, at the end of the day, I think the award comes down to who is the best pitcher, right? And like you said, Wheeler gives you a little bit of everything, and you yeah, know. just the size of it as well. And am I, I, I again, I don't want to take anything away from Burns, like he deserves the award, just Wheeler deserves it more. He just did a, everything, and maybe it wasn't as efficient, but he did it longer and like almost as well. 
Exactly. That's the other thing too, right? Like, I mean, he pitched what 50 more innings than Burns yeah. and had pretty similar stats. Like I'm not saying that I don't think Burns could have done what he had done for another 50 innings, but just having somebody do that is remarkable and it's pretty crazy. Right. So. Yeah. And that was like one of the reasons why, well, first I was shocked that Bueller was not a finalist with how crazy his season was. And that's also why when the finalists did come out, I kind of really didn't consider Burns or even Scherzer that much just because of the lack of innings. Scherzer had the injury. Burns had COVID. And, like, yeah, like, that sucks. But, like, same thing to any other voting. Like, if you get injured or you get COVID or you miss time, like, that should severely hurt your chances. And Wheeler and even Bueller were there for the full season. They both went over 200 innings, which is unprecedented in today's game. And they were insanely efficient, 200-plus innings. To me, it's almost a no-brainer. Especially in, in this particular season, coming off the COVID season, where innings were at a premium. To see a guy go 213 innings after pitching 80 innings, I think he led the league in the previous season as well. He has become a horse, talking about Wheeler. And you guys put it really well. He pitched almost 50 innings more than Burns. Of course, that was out of Burns' control, but just to an extent, because he got COVID. But yeah, I mean, that, that happens. And when you're talking about the top, the, the tippy top for an award like this, it, it's kind of too bad. And just watching Wheeler, every, every start, he would, he would pitch so deep into starts. He had a number of complete games. He was just a horse. He was what you want. Yeah. He was the quintessential Cy Young. So, yeah, there's definitely a case for Wheeler to have won the award. Sucks for him, but I'm sure he'll be right up there next season. Yeah, agreed. Now, in the American League, Robbie Ray won the award, and I don't really think there's much of an argument against Ray winning it here, just with, you know, you, you, you could have seen Cole maybe before the last month of the season being right there, possibly being ahead of Ray, but with the way Cole pitched in the second half and particularly in the last month of the season with that hamstring injury and, and so on, and I know you're not supposed to take the postseason in, into, into account, but that postseason start probably didn't help the supposedly objective opinions of these baseball writers. And yeah, Ray had a breakout season. He pitched well from start to end, and he takes home the award going into his free agency. Yeah, Ray just kind of won the bleeding in all like the major important categories as well. Like he was dominant, like basically starting to finish. You know, he had that rough last start, but yeah, Cole was brutal down the stretch. And I, I think that Cole had that award before the hamstring injury, but he had like a close to six ERA. His last five starts was made his ERA go from like a, I think it was like a two five four or like a two seven to like a three two six. He ended up with so that's that made all the difference there and. Ray, he put everything together finally. He's always been like an amazing strikeout artist. Like if you look at his baseball reference, he has like Gold Inc., an all-time leader for a strikeout rate and pitchers. Like he is nasty as it gets, and he finally had the command of the control and is pounding the zone. And when he gets ahead, he's has some of that nasty shit that really put batters away. And that was probably one of the best deals of any offseason. It was like seven million dollars for a Cyan winner. Yeah, and I think also is like you like you mentioned his Cinderella story kind of uh, helps a little yeah, bit. I mean, that helps the narrative. I agree. Exactly, he had like a six two ERA or something coming into this year, and all of a sudden he's you know in yeah. the low. Everyone, what was it? everyone thinks, yeah, 
everyone thinks a Cole is like a crybaby Kermit that uses spider attack. So that's like, he had a very eventful season as well. For peace, yeah, that's the other thing too, right? Because I mean, yeah. he sucked in the second half after that. Uh, he actually, the, the thing is too, with the thing, like he actually had a lot of like really good starts, but then a he lot did. of like no, not so good starts where it was like there was still like you know five innings, three earned runs, but that's not you know Cy Young Award winner stuff. A Cy Young, like, if you win the Cy Young Award, you maybe have like one or two starts like that with the course of the year, you know, like clunkers. Like Cole had like five clunkers over the course of the year. It was the three after, like the two or three starts after the sticky substance crackdown that really gave him yeah, that. Yeah, no, it probably yeah. looked at a lot of sour taste in his mouth. But listen, Cole, sticky stuff or not, or crybaby or not, he's still like ridiculously talented at the pitcher. And I think that was his fifth top five finish. And like, it's, it's pretty safe to say that he'll be in the top five again next year. He's just that good, especially when it comes to the American League. When, I think that the level of pitching is like a little bit less than the National League. It has been for, you know, a decade now. Yeah, good points, good points. In the MVP race, Bryce Harper won it in the National League and unsurprisingly and unanimously, I mean, maybe that's a surprise, Shohei Otani won it in the American League, starting with Otani. I mean, that's the easy one. I think it was pretty clear. Mike, you put out a tweet earlier that, you know, in April he had it won. I wouldn't go that far, but, I mean, yeah, he had it won for a number of months. <laughs> probably probably the All-Star break at that point. Yeah. Everyone knew he was going to win it. Even if he had gotten yeah. – even if he missed the last month of the season, he was still probably going to win it. So, just a, a historical season for Otani. He finally stayed healthy. My preseason MVP pick. <clears throat> and he put it all together. And I'm excited to see what he can do going forward. That's – what I'm looking forward to. Yeah, no, I agree that the, his, the season he did, I even tweet out again, like this is one of the greatest seasons, like really any baseball fan will see. And like, I really do hope he can repeat it. But when you throw like 130 or whatever innings, like dominant innings, like he did second in baseball and home runs, how like, you know, like an OPS and that stuff and top of the league as well. It's, it's pretty obvious who the MVP is in the year and MVP is going to be. And I also said like, you know, maybe around the, the all-star break too, or maybe in August that the only chance Vladdy had to win or make a case for winning was getting, you know, the triple crown. That was the only way to have a, another historic season. But even with that, man, it wasn't close. And you mentioned it being shocking for it being unanimous. Like, again, like how could you vote against that guy? It just made no sense. Exactly. Nothing to take away from Vladdy, but I mean, you know, Shohei and Vladi had we talked about this earlier in the year they they had similar hitting you know stats but just when you take into account that Otani also threw like Mike said 130 plus innings and absolutely shoved every time he was on the mound yeah and he can steal 20 bags as well you know he's he's just doing everything he can and I mean credit to Vladi too he was nearly unanimous in the second place he got 29 votes one went to Salvador Perez but you know like he had a ridiculous season two and I, I think that him getting 29 out of the 30 second place votes like he got a lot of the love that he deserved as well for an incredible season exactly that's another thing you like to see right like you know no they recognize that for sure and over in the national league mike's wearing his jersey right now front runner uh bryce harper taking home his second mvp award just another incredible season pretty similar to what he put up in, in 2015, probably 2015. I mean, he was a, even, even better, but I mean, 
Yeah, 309, 429, 615 for a 1044 OPS, 179 OPS plus, which led the league. His 615 slugging led the league. His OPS led the league. Solid right fielder and just a lethal bat for a Phillies team that ultimately didn't make it and that didn't matter. I don't think people really take that into account anymore. And yeah, uh, yeah a future Hall of Famer, Bryce Harper. Yeah, I mean, listen, he's well on his way going into his age 29 season now he's like halfway there he's at 40 war so i mean listen, he has a great case two mvps as well uh i I, also, I tweeted he's the 32nd player in major league history to have multiple mvps now and yeah, i i think that was the right pick it was really between him and soto but harper had him beat in like a lot of other major categories as well and another few things with harper is 42 walks led the National League and 100 walks. I think it was probably only second to Soto, but just really great discipline. And his entire approach, especially when he's come to Philly, has like uh, – he's not like uh, he's uh, started to walk a lot more like in his last years with the Nationals and now especially more in Philly. But now the power is starting, you know, like power strokes starting to find more. A lot of driving and runs, watch base hits. He's a complete player over around. Yeah, no, Soto had a great year, um, but Harper had a better year. There's not much you can say about it. I mean, personally, uh, I thought the writers, maybe maybe this just shows how how little I know about uh, what the writers do year in, year out, but I thought they were going to give it to Tatis, but um, just because it's Tatis, but I think they made the right choice. Uh, Harper definitely deserved it, in my opinion, Um, and I think a lot of other people's opinions. For sure. That's that's why I had the Philly jersey on. I was standing. Well, originally I put it on to stand in unison with Zach Wheeler, but then Harper also won too. So, are you gonna get a Zach Wheeler jersey now? No, but I honestly was actually thinking that maybe from now on I might buy jerseys of players who win like the MVP or something. Just build a collection. You know what's that might be cool? Of those Mets, quote unquote, five aces. The only jersey that I never got or T-shirt I never got was Zach Wheeler. Really? Yeah. Never a Wheeler guy? I don't know. I just never got – because he was injured for those two years, and he, he, was, he came back, he wasn't great, and he just never got around to it. Well, now's wow. your chance. I mean <laughs> – Okay, but you took – you had Wheeler over, like – I mean, you had Steven Matz over Wheeler. Like, Matz was never good. He was good his first two seasons. Matz was a, a Long Island okay. boy. You had to get his jersey. Come on. Like, he was – All right, all right, he, all right. He was Saying correct, yeah, the Long Island boy is Smithtown or was Roots. Mets might re-sign him. We'll see. They should. They should bring him back. He looks like a different pitcher now, and they need arms. Speaking of one of those former aces, Noah Syndergaard is no longer a Met. Kind of surprisingly as well, uh, I think we all thought he was going to accept that qualifying offer, but he went out on the market, and he got a better deal from Los Angeles Angels. He had dinner with Perry Manazian in New York City. And Manazian brought a fucking binder and convinced him, this is how we're going to use you in a six-man rotation. This is what we can do to help you succeed, help you build on, that, on your platform year so then you can go back out on free agency in a year and get a, a humongous contract. And he bought it, and he goes to the Angels for one year and $21 million. So, yep. Travis, what did you think of this deal? Were you also surprised? I mean, first off, good for him. Uh, rejecting the qualifying offer and going out and getting another, I guess, close to 3 million uh, for one year. So 
kudos to him for that. But um, I was a little bit surprised. Um, I actually thought that if he did reject a qualifying offer, he was just going to resign with the Mets for a little bit more. Um, he would have tried to squeeze a little bit more money out of them. Um, but at the same time, I mean, you have to look at the Angels. They're desperate for any pitching they can get. I think as soon as he rejected the qualifying offer, they saw an opening and took it. Um, you know, Syndergaard's pretty good. Sorry, pretty good as an understatement. He was a very good pitcher in, you know, 2019. And before that, um, he just, you know, had a string of bad luck with his elbow injury. And if they can, you know, get him at 100%, for you know the start of the season I know he pitched a little bit last year too but if they can get him you know 110% for for the start of the season you know I think he's going to have a great year in LA and they've got some big things I mean you know I, I this is a little off topic but look at their lineup right all they need is pitching and they can have a very good team so I think that's part of the reason why he decided to go there is you know just the potential that that team has with Trout, Otani, Rendon, Walsh, Fletcher like the list goes on, right? The top six in that lineup is ridiculous. All they need is pitching. And, you know, they already have Otani for one, Sandoval for two. I think Syndergaard will fight for that, you know, one, two spot in that rotation. And the Angels aren't done yet either, right? They're going to bring in more pitching, I think. Better. <laughs> I mean, like, they signed Syndergaard. And I think, like, I saw that with the 21 million, he, he, he wound up making like 300,000 more than he would if he stayed in New York based on like taxes or something like that. Mm-hmm. I think so and say it was like a very like minimal like margin. But yeah, if he's gonna be in the six pin rotation too, like yes, that's great for him to, you know, kind of work himself back into it, but that's only gonna get him like 150 innings. You know, he's gonna miss a lot of time and Yes, that could help keep him healthy, but if if you want like a, a big time contract, especially one that he's gonna want, like those go out to the pitchers that are not only insanely nasty, but that can give you at least 180 on a consistent basis. This guy has thrown two innings in two years, and he threw like only fastballs basically. So like, he hasn't shown any off speed or nothing. Like, so I, he has a lot to show. And 21 million, like yeah. It, does seem a little steep and maybe the angels should have allocated the money to like maybe two pitchers instead of that. But at the same time, I think they just need pitching desperately and I think it'll work out fine for them. So there are three ways that I would kind of look at it. First off from Syndergaard's perspective, it's pretty well known that he was not a fan of pitching for the Mets while he portrayed publicly to the fans that he liked pitching in New York. Ultimately he was again, not a fan of how, he was treated under the Wilpon regime, probably was sick of, of pitching for the Mets. I, I mean, he didn't choose to pitch for the Mets. He was, he was traded yeah. to the Mets, of course. Uh, so for him to be able to get out, like you said, uh, a $300,000 difference. Again, he, he wanted to get out of New York. And a team, it, it made sense financially pretty much. It was, it was even. And the Angels, he, he liked what they had to say, so he went with them. So for Syndergaard, it's, it's a good deal. Because, again, he can pitch in that six-man rotation where he can be – shielded a little bit uh yeah moving on the on, west coast mets yeah <laughs> uh well uh, west coast Wilpon mets uh yeah basically and the 21 million too uh this is a little transition for you what you're about to do but uh, uh justin verlander can basically think uh thank um Senegal for the 25 million I, I think that he really set the market the 21 
is give everyone an extra few extra few million dollars. Well, a couple more points on Syndergaard that I wanted to make. Uh, for the Angels, I don't really like this move because they're not a team that's close enough to being a World Series contender that should be giving up a, a second round pick and a fifth round pick plus bonus pool money and whatever other penalties uh, occur when you sign a guy who was given a qualifying offer. They should have been. They should have gone. You mentioned maybe giving out two ten million dollar contracts or gone for a pitcher who didn't receive the qualifying offer. I don't really know why they decided to go down this path. And then when you look at it from the Mets perspective, it's, it's good for them because they were getting a bit of an uncertainty in, in center guard. You, you, how many innings could he have possibly thrown the maximum 150. And now they get a compensatory second round pick for him to help build that farm. And while they do need, multiple pitchers and he probably three starting pitchers, they can probably allocate those resources that they would have spent on Syndergaard a little bit better. So that's just my take on it. Yeah. I mean, that $18.4 million is this buys one year Stroman right there. If you want to go after him, <laughs> I don't want people, no, it might be 18.4 and some change after that. But I mean, if you're getting spring Stroman back, you're getting like a rock solid guy. And you're giving like you no know, maybe an extra six million dollars to you on an annual basis instead of a uh, guard who's a question mark and you're getting one more year out of. So I think the fact that guard and Conforto, you know, they both are probably going to be out the door is might be the best thing that happened to the Mets. They weren't winning with those guys. They saved what thirty six point eight million dollars between the two, and now they can shake things up a little bit. Absolutely, yeah. That was actually a great point that you brought up about the about the draft pick. That was another interesting thing with the angels, right? Like why would yeah. they no. West know, coast Mets? I'm telling the you move for the angels to be making, maybe the Dodgers, maybe another team that's right there and they need Syndergaard to take them over the top, but not for the angels. That's not a move they should be making. Yeah. Imagine the Astros sign Syndergaard and Verlander. Yeah. Like, I mean, fuck it. Why not? Get <laughs> that's a team that, could, that can do that. That's a team that doesn't need yeah. a, a second round pick to be able to scout and to be able to, to get good players, rather, they, they can find players in the later rounds. They've been known to do that. So, again, yeah, that's just yeah. My, my take on that. Uh, no, now, no, Verlander, no, no. I want to talk I about. Um, yeah, he definitely was helped by the Syndergaard contract that probably gave him a, a few extra million. And he gets a one-year deal for 25 with a player option for another 25. So, it could be two, two for 50, really low risk for him. I mean, if he blows out tomorrow – He's guaranteed $50 million. So pretty high risk, I would say, for the Astros. But Verlander's a different species. He's a future Hall of Famer. He's a beast. I'm sure the Astros scouted him very well. They've spoken to him. They know what they see. And um, if they're willing to give him that money and they think it's worth the risk, then uh, I think the next couple of years are going to be good for Verlander in terms of his performance. Yeah, no, I totally agree there. And you mentioned the Astros too. Like, yeah, if they're making that move, they did their homework and he's going to come back and be stud. Um, one thing though, I don't know if you guys saw this or heard about it or know anything more. I was listening to a podcast. I forgot which one. And they said that like the ball was like ripping off. They can hear like ripping off the fingers of Verlander at the showcase. Like, is that just like saying that he's like still throwing the ball hard? Or is that like referencing to like, sp- like a spider tack type of thing? Like I, they mentioned that, and then they didn't like, like clarify what they meant. So I don't know if you guys heard anything about that either. I was like, I was confused. 
I think for me personally, uh, sometimes when I throw, I, I know base, like major league baseballs are all the same, same specifications, everything. But sometimes I find depending on what the seams are like, I can get the ball kind of ripping off my fingers as well. And I don't use spider sack. Yeah, but it makes like a sound though. I mean, like, dude, we're talking about a guy throw, 39 throwing 97, not us twigs throwing 76. That's the know? other thing too, though, right? <laughs> when you're throwing 97 and the ball's moving that fast out of your hand, it's going to cause like it's gonna rub off your hand a little bit yeah. i would think right no, like no, i don't I agree that. I said what they meant. so i don't know i just didn't know what they meant by that i was just curious because like you know that could that could mean something down the line but yeah for the astros i, I think they kind of needed to make that the move they needed to get like that big picture like they're losing grinky you know that they lost cole like two years ago they lost verlander kind of with the injury so they need to get that big guy back, and with all those young guys in the rotation, or they have, you know, McCullough is kind of a veteran, but I think being able to pick Verlander's brain is probably the best to like, bring his value in itself right there, and you know he's going to shove. He maybe he won't be 2019 Cy Young Verlander, but even if you get, like, uh, 20, what is it, 2017 Verlander, and he kind of made that comeback with, like, a 3 RA or, like, a 3-3, like, that's all you really can ask for from a 39-year-old Hall of Famer like that. I want to circle back to the sicky stuff for for one second. Was Verlander using any of that? Because I did hear somewhere last year that it was a little bit suspicious that because he was one of those guys whose spin rate increased after he left yeah, Detroit, I mean, right? He, I mean, he got traded at, from Detroit. Sorry, go ahead. No, I'm saying let's look at his numbers in like his last like season or so, half in Detroit, and then. I, uh, he was trending back to like Verlander that we know him from like, you know, 2011 Verlander when he was like an MVP. And then he went to Houston. And ever since he's been in Houston, I think it's like a two, four, five year array after over like 80 starts. It's like he's back to peak Verlander all of a sudden at the end of his career. So, so something fishy is going on. It's not like the Astros pitching mechanics fixed him and he's like, <laughs> like, no, like get that bullshit out of here. So, something's going on. I mean, personally, I don't like care that much. Like, like, good on him. It doesn't matter, but, yeah, no, he definitely has some type of assistance. The Astros were, like, they ever since, you know, like, 2014, they've been, like, so ahead in all this stuff. They're, like, they're like, a, like a, the golden, like, um, example, at least on the pitching side, maybe, for, uh, like, how to develop guys. I think teams really kind of follow their lead. Maybe uh, maybe on the hitting side, too, you know, a little The Houston little Astros look for any edge that they can possibly get that's pitching, that's hitting. And I still think they're going to be the, the, the leading edge and whatever comes next. And Verlander knows that he knows he can succeed there. That rotation now, I mean, they have so many good options. I mean, the top you have Verlander, McCullers, Framber Valdez. They still have Jake Odorizzi. They still have Luis, Luis Garcia. Garcia. Uh, Christian Javier is an option. Uh, Jose Urquidy is an option. So, I mean, they have uh, riches, a plethora of riches. And I'd love to see how they end up using that. Maybe they go to a six-man rotation to start. Who knows? So good stuff for the Astros. That rotation is going to be really good next season. Before we continue with the show, I'm pleased to announce our first ever giveaway on America's Pastime for our one-year anniversary on December 1st. From this moment on, we will be starting a giveaway on Twitter and Instagram where one winner will, will be selected from each platform, one from Instagram, one from Twitter, and the winner will, will receive a $10 Amazon gift card. Now, in order to enter, here's what you need to do. 
on Instagram, like, comment, and tag two people, and post on your story for an extra entry. And on Twitter, like, retweet, and tag two people to enter. And to get an extra entry on Twitter, tag three or more people. Hope you're enjoying the podcast so far, and have a good one. A big extension was signed in Toronto when Jose Brios inked a seven-year, $131 million deal to stay in Toronto. Brios is a guy coming off of another solid season where at the trade deadline, he was dealt to Toronto and over 70 innings in the second half there, he pitched pretty much at the same level. He, he's pitched at over the, over the past couple of seasons. He's a guy who consistently has an ERA plus of over 100. Last, last season, 122, only going to be 28 years old. So a really solid contract for him and for the Blue Jays all, all around. If he likes it there and he wants to stay there, then he will forgo free agency to get the guaranteed money. So what did you guys think of this deal? Um, I mean, when it first broke, I kind of thought it was a little bit of like a bargain for the Blue Jays, just in terms of it being like just over the, the, the qualifying offer in terms of AAV. But, I mean, you, when you really do like kind of break it down, like I, I was looking at it from like a free agent perspective where I kind of thought he could have cashed in at like the same AAV as – Strowman, which people project to be around like a $25 million mark, which would then bring his overall value over the um, seven years to like $175 million, which, you know, is kind of where I was thinking. But uh, he was traded there, and it's good that the Blue Jays, you know, I mean, uh, yeah, the Blue Jays gave a lot to get him. So it makes the most sense that they wind up blocking him down. Yeah, exactly. I, I think this is a – great deal for the Jays. Uh, I mean, you're getting him for seven years at 18 million a year. He's 27. When the deal ends, he's going to be 34. So you're not really going to get too many of those bad years that you would get if say you signed him to like a 10 year deal. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause then you're getting like, you know, presumably through, you know, it's 34 to 37 season would be, you know, just bad videos. Yeah. But the, the way I see this deal is, when you look at his baseball savant page, you don't see a lot of red, but when you watch him pitch in real life, like his movement on his, whatever it is, slider curveball, and then it's his like a slur. it's crazy. Like that thing bends, like <laughs> it, it's crazy. Uh, I, I, there's not too many pitches that move like that um, in, in the game right now. Um, it doesn't walk a lot of guys. And he actually strikes out quite a few guys. So, you know, look at what the Jays have done with Steven Matz and Robbie Ray. Uh, those guys are similar, in my opinion. Robbie Ray is more just high low, lots of strikeouts. But good break, lots of strikeouts. I seriously think there's, you know, some work to be done with him. And I think the Jays are going to be able to turn Brios into an even better pitcher than he already is. Yeah. Right. Especially uh, since he's 27 only. Yeah. Right? No. Yeah, they, he's still super young, and that's why I think that he still has a little bit uh, more of a ceiling. Like, when you looked at watching pitch the last, like, five years, we kind of kept expecting him to break out and have, like, a monster year, and they just never really came to, like, a full extent. But it's totally possible of happening, and I think that the Blue Jays made that move as, like, a backup plan in a way, just in case, 
like a Robbie uh, Ray winds up leaving. Um, I, I still think that they have the money to bring him back or at least add another pitcher. Maybe Stroman has a reunion back in Toronto, but I, I think that them getting him at like a pretty good price like that still leaves them with plenty of money to spend. Cause I mean, I know Toronto never really goes like crazy to payroll, but the Rogers family is like so rich. So if they really wanted to, they could be like, okay, we have a super young core. Like, let's just get like some higher price veterans right now and can make a run for it. Because they're just in the cusp of the playoffs last year, and like they're, they're if they get in, they're, they're going to be dangerous. Yeah, that's actually another great point. Uh, you mentioned, you know, the young team, right? They're already paying Springer what twenty five million or something a year, and now they're paying yeah. Brios. Uh, 18 and they have Ryu locked up. I think this is the final year of that contract that he signed for the 20 million. I think so. Year, yeah. I think. Um, Cause I think he signed 80 million for four years, something like that. Um, but, you know, they also have Bichette and Guerrero and uh, you know, uh, Hernandez yeah, and yeah. Guriel, right. All those guys that they have to figure out what to do with. So, getting Brios at 18 million a year goes a long way for figuring all that out. Right. When you look at Brios too. Yeah. He has never quite become that ace that we all thought he would. And maybe he never will, but for what he is right now as a number two starter, he, the last, what every pretty much last four seasons, he's made every single start 32 starts, 2018, 32 starts, 2019, 2020, he made all 12 starts. He had available to him 2021, 32 starts, Innings, you know, 192, 200, 63 in the shortened season, 192 last season. So he, he's a horse. You know, he, the health is the most important thing for him. And he's, he's, he's always healthy and he always goes out there and pitches and he pitches pretty deep into games. So for what they're paying, it's certainly worth the value. And again, there could be more uh, on top of what he already is. So any way you slice it, Good deal for the Blue Jays. But also, again, I think it's a good deal for Brios because he's now guaranteed that money, doesn't have to worry about free agency, and he will become a free agent, yeah, age 35 season. But we've seen with starting pitchers, you can still make money at that point. So it's not, yes. you know. Look at Charlie Morton. I feel like it's a right. good comp for what he could be later in his career. I mean, like he's the type of guy who's – I kind of think he's, like, right in the middle between, like, finesse and power pitcher. Like, you know, if he's averaging, like, 93 – and a half on his fastball he can get up to 95 96 still but like he's big on that control with like the running fastball and the slurve so i mean he has stuff based on movement that is that kind of like allows him to last in the league he's not a guy who relies on his velocity well it's funny that you say he doesn't well he doesn't rely on velocity but also his curve is averaged at 93 miles an hour which is insane the slurve uh, no shy 93 slurve 83. Did I say 93? Yeah, I meant yeah, to say 83. 93. Dude, it's like but, my bad, my bad. I meant to say 93. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was like, but still though, like, I mean, an 80 mile an hour slurve is it's crazy, but yeah, no, he's he, I think he's a pitcher that he's gonna give you like year in and year out consistent basis, like that three five year array, whatever he's been sitting at in the past few years, like you'll get that year in and year out for over the course of that contract. Absolutely. Great number two. And I mean, they have Manoa. That's the other young guy that I forgot to mention. And Nate Pearson. They have, they yeah, have, some, they have stuff what's there. Going on. I think if they can get Robbie Ray, if they can get Stroman. Like, if they can just bring like another big pitcher back, like, like they're going to be 
a threat to win the East next year. Like they already are, but like people, like the people pick the Blue Jays over the Yankees or the Rays. I'd be like, all right, yeah, you got a case. Like that team is freaking ridiculous. If the Jays can bring back Robbie Ray, that would be huge for them. Having your one, two, three Ray Barrios Manoa, they that happen. would be massive. They're in a position to do so. Especially since, you know, two years ago, they had Ryu as their only pitcher. <laughs> you know? I mean, com- coming into last season, it didn't look great either. We were talking about that, I remember, in, in the offseason of yeah. the Blue Jays. Yeah, didn't do we made fun of Robbie Ray. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but their rotation actually you. ended up being pretty solid, and they added to it, of course, at the trade deadline. So it'd be best for them to probably go into next season with a rotation that, that – was similar to what they featured at the end of the season. So we'll see what happens yeah. with the Blue Jays for the rest of the offseason. Now, the qualifying offer deadline was yesterday at 5 p.m. We're recording this on Thursday. And every player rejected the qualifying offer except for Brendan Belt. He was the one guy who was iffy on what he would do. And he accepted that. Did I say everyone rejected it or accepted it? Rejected. Okay, good. Okay. You're, you're all right. He, yeah, he accepted it, and he will be earning $18.4 million, which will actually be the highest salary of his career going to his age 34 season. Had a really solid season offensively. I mean, 160 OPS plus, only 97 games, but still previous season, 177 OPS plus. So he's had a bit of a revitalization at the end of this his, his time with the Giants, and he's going to be inked up for another season. And I'd expect for a contract extension of some sort to be worked out with the Giants here to keep him in the fold for another couple of years beyond this season at probably a similar price to what he's earning this season, this year. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, he's like a player that's been with the Giants forever. He's a guy who was like, he was viewed in many ways to be like a, a total masher. And I know that he hasn't really been the guy they expected him to. I mean, he's had, like every season of his career, except for a um, 2019 season, has been an above-average hitter. And with that, like a 110 OPS plus or higher. But if you combine the last two years, like he's really been like a guy that they expect him to be. Like 148 games, 285, 393, 599, which is a 98 OPS, 165 OPS plus, with 38 home runs, 89 RBIs. 78 walks, 139 strikeouts. Like, he's really been, like, a machine the last two years. And I know we kind of mentioned, like, you know, like Chris Taylor, who is, like, a year or two younger, who declined it. And, is you know, he's still in that age where he can get, like, a three-, four-year deal. But going to his age 34 season, I think that $18.4 million over a um, one-year deal for him is probably one of the best things you can get. And if he's been in San Fran for the last decade, and change, I feel like it just makes the most sense for him just to want to stay, especially after a year they just had. Yeah, absolutely. I think he he was one of those guys, similar to Chris Taylor, like you said, who could have gone either way, could have accepted it, could have rejected it, would have worked out for him both ways. Um, you know, I, I, I don't really think there's a downside to either option for him. And, you know, obviously this is what he thought would be better. So, you know, good on him for – and I mean – 18.4 million is a lot of money. So I'll take that. Exactly. Yeah. I would too. Now, a guy who got a contract extension as well, Colorado Rockies dishing out contract extensions left and right. Elias Diaz, catcher for the Rockies, had a really solid season, 
was above average offensively for a catcher, great defensive catcher going to his age 31 season. So the Rockies buy out one free agent year, I'm sorry, one arbitration year, two free agent seasons, and he will be their catcher for the next few seasons at a pretty reasonable price, uh, four to 5 million per season. So good for him for a guy who never really was a starting catcher uh, throughout his career. He's been more of a backup Pittsburgh in 2019 and uh, 2018. He got pretty significant at bats, but this season he was really the starter for the Rockies and he performed well. And the Rockies are able to support a a decent sized payroll and they are continuing to identify players that they like and are paying them accordingly. So Diaz will be their catcher moving forward. Yeah, it was a pretty smart move by them too, you know, by a franchise who has consistently made not so smart moves in a lot of ways through stars. But yeah, if, if you look at the catching market right now in the free agency, it's it's a very scary place to look at. Like, there's nothing really good going on there. And when you have a guy already on your roster, oh, you have one more year of arbitration and he had a career year and his offense production was probably still above a league average catcher and his defense was – especially when in controlling the run game was like in top of the line, like throwing four to 5 million at him for three years is probably a good thing. You know, it keeps them away from, they don't have to worry about that whole, like what are we going to do behind the plate for a few more years and them delaying that is, I think it's probably the best move they made in the past like few years. Absolutely. I mean, you know, the Rockies aren't in a position to go out and sign or trade for, you know, a catcher who's getting paid, you know, like, $25 million a year is a final piece. You know, we talked about uh, that with Syndergaard earlier in the pod, but I mean, like Mike said, he's been, I, I would say he's been well above average for, for hitting as, as a, you know, when, when you compare him to the rest of the catchers in the league, just, you know, maybe hitting at Coors helps with that, but uh, you look at his plate discipline, it's all there. He's got power. He's got average. He hit 250, which is pretty good for, you know, most catchers in the league. So, and then, you know, Mike also talked about his defense behind the plate controls the run game really well. His frame rate's actually not too bad. And I mean, paying him 5 million a year, you know, it's a great deal. Yeah. Popped 18 home runs too. I mean, it's they really anything you can ex- expect from a yeah. major league catcher in 2021. Yeah. Great points. Last thing we have to talk about is a potential big-time extension. Pretty surprising from a team that doesn't normally dish out dough like this. The only time I can really think of they've done it in the past is with Evan Longoria. That's probably the only other $100 million-plus contract they've given out in their history, and that is the Tampa Bay Rays offering Wander Franco reportedly an extension in excess of $150 to $200 million for a decade. What did you guys think of this when you first heard it? I would have signed that immediately. I would have gotten in my car. I would have driven wherever they wanted me to. And I would have signed that blindfolded hands tied behind my back. 100%. And this is the way sign I with your it. mouth. How did they do it behind your back? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I probably need my hands for that, but I, I would have done that 100%. Um, the way I look at it is he's what going into his age 20 season now. So he's yeah. going to come out of that contract 30 years old and presumably nothing crazy happens to him within those 10 years. He's going to be 30. He's going to be able to sign at least for another five, six years. 
probably not going to be a shortstop at the end of that, but you know, he's going to sign another decently sized contract, probably close to another hundred million. And he's 20 years old and he's pretty much just secured, you know, what most guys in their thirties would hope to make, you know, throughout their entire career. Right. And he's got the option to sign another massive contract after this. So I think this is a great deal for him. I think this is a great deal for the Rays. And the reason I think it's a great deal for the Rays is as a Ray, if you're a Rays fan, you don't really have anybody other than, uh, you know, uh, Kiermaier to kind of root for and, you know, buy their jersey and know that you're going to be able to wear it for a couple of years before he's gone, right? Like, that's that's the issue with most guys, like, you know, Snell and Glasnow probably, um, you know, you buy their jersey and they're gone in two years, you know? Uh, I think he's one of those guys that they can build their franchise around, they can build their fan base around. Uh, I think this is great for Wander. Like I said, he's 20, especially coming off of, you know, the end of the season that he had in 2021. He was an absolute stud. He raked. Um, yeah, I just think this is a great deal. And if I were him, I would sign that immediately. Yeah, I would have um, it was 100 million, like close to a clean <laughs> That it's double or close to double, ridiculous. Yeah, when I saw it, it was like a record contract. I'm like, okay, there has to be some type of like, you know, like caveat to that. Like what we're, we're missing here. And I was like, it has to be something service time related. And it was, it was the, the it'll be the biggest contract, you know, for a player with less than a year of, of service time. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think that it would be awesome for Tampa to have a player be on the team for more than three seasons. You know, have the fans able to kind of rally around the guy, having a franchise player. And for the Rays of all teams to come out that early and just give him, like, that big-time contract of that scares the shit out of me. Like, they must know this guy is freaking going to be, like, a Hall of Fame player already. They probably know he's being inducted in, like, 2045, like – Something stupid like that. So if he signs that, he's a Tampa Ray. I know that he's gonna torment me for the better part of the next decade, and I don't want to think about that. But I do hope he signs it. There's no doubt in my mind that he's going to be a stud, assuming he's, that he, he doesn't look so good. And yeah, for a guy at that age to be able to get that guaranteed money, it's it's something that not many have the opportunity to do. So I would, if I were him, I would also probably sign the contract, but that's just my, my, uh, my take on it, my position. Um, But yeah. another thing to look at it, Travis, you made a really good point. I I wasn't even thinking about this, but it would be so good for baseball and for the Rays to have that guy that they can finally cheer for. I think part of the problem with the Rays and why their fan base is not really into it is they don't have a face. They don't have, players that they can they know that they can consistently root for in a year-in year-out basis and with wander there's a guy who you know everyone's gonna buy his jersey and everyone's gonna want to go to the ballpark to to watch wander franco play and maybe yeah, this i'll buy is something, jersey yeah i would buy a jersey uh maybe this is something that can finally rally that fan base and get them really interested uh in this team because it's a really good team it's going to be a really good team and they're going to have one of the best players if not the best player in baseball on it yeah, he, he gives me, like, crazy, like, Juan Soto vibes. Not that, like, they're, like, the same player. You know, I think Soto is just, like, a much better hitter. I think Franco is potentially be a much better overall player. But just the fact that they 
just came out on the scene and you just saw like that raw skill set that they had where Franco was able to drive the ball the other way. You saw the on the streak that he had. Like, he's able to command the zone. He walks. He can steal a little bit. He plays a premium defensive position. And he plays it well. Does any switch hit too? Like he's just he's literally like a a wet dream for like any GM. Honestly, he's just he's just so good. He's everything you could ask for in a player. The the one thing that sold me on him was, I think it was his first career home run. He had a ball at his ankles out, and it was like it it went at least three fifty. Like, I was <laughs> like, funny how you're like at least three fifty. I was just thinking like a four hundred and twenty four attack. Well, the like, ball at your ankles. I mean, yeah, you're I hitting that almost with one hand. The dude is nineteen, and he looks like he's twenty five. Yes, that's yeah. the other thing too. He's a fucking monster. Yeah, no, he, he definitely was the guy that was like, I am 12 and like bench warmers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Exciting Crazy future. Like that. Yeah, exciting future for Wander Franco and, and for the Rays. And hopefully they can get a deal done here so that they can ink him up for, for the next decade and he can become the face of their franchise. So with that, thanks for listening to this episode of the America's Pastime Podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed Continue to tune in for our off-season news episodes. We will keep you updated on anything and everything that happens. Make sure you go Promotion back and listen too. to our yep. Make sure you go back and listen to our previous episodes so you can get caught up and tune in next time.